This is the Radio Bible Class, and I'm your host, Tim Carter. We welcome you to our Bible study as a radio Bible class streams across the nation and around the world. We bring to you a message how Christ ministers to his disciples after the resurrection. We greet you on the internet and radio with the message that Jesus is alive today. Now, today's lesson is titled Giant Problems, and it comes from 2 Samuel 21, 15 through 22. But before we start our lesson today, Word Talk Inc. could use your support. Now, playing music on the radio may sound simple, but actually it's quite costly due to publishing rights and royalties. And before that first song is ever played, there's utility bills and tower rental fees and maintenance and so forth. We need people just like you to help with a tax-deductible gift, so won't you do that today? You can do that by calling us at 601-483-8638, and there they can take your information safely and securely over the phone, or mail us your gift to Word Talk, Inc., P.O. Box 4334, Meridian, Mississippi, 39304. Now, your gift to Word Talk, Inc. is IRS-approved as a 501c3 tax-exempt ministry. Your contribution is never used for salaries or managerial purposes, but 100% of it goes to the expense providing the good news of Jesus Christ to our listening area. Hebrews 13.16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. If you'd like to go back and listen to a previous lesson, you can do that by going to our podcast website. That's Radio Bible Class with no space in between radiobibleclass.podbean.com or listen to us wherever you listen to your podcast. We're there too, whether that's Google or iTunes or Amazon. Wherever you're consuming your podcast, we're there too. Just search for WMER Radio Bible Class with no space in between Radio Bible Class. Over a year ago, we started studying out of 1 Samuel. We've gone through 1 Samuel now 2 Samuel. And then 2 Samuel, I told you it was all about the life of David. And so far, we looked at the rise of David. That was 1 Samuel 16 through 31. We saw David become king over Judah and Israel. That was 2 Samuel 1 through 5. And then we saw God promise David an everlasting kingdom. And that was in 2 Samuel 5, 6, all the way through 2 Samuel 10, 19. And then we saw David's sin and his decline and then the restoration from God and that was 2 Samuel 11 through 20. As I told you last week, 2 Samuel, though, finishes up with what some folks call an epilogue of David's life. Now, these chapters look back over the whole period of David's reign. These texts are not arranged chronologically, but they're placed based on the theme that the writer's trying to get across. Last week, we looked briefly at a topic called settlement time. And it was a tough discussion because God had a settlement that needed to happen because of a blood guilt that King Saul had done. King Saul and his house. And we went through that. You should go back and listen to that. But today we're going to look at a topic called giant problems. As soon as I say that, giant problems, you probably think of the most familiar story found in the Bible, and that's David and Goliath. It's a story that all of us learned in our earliest days in Sunday school. And it's still a favorite story told even from the pulpit about the little guy versus the big guy. What I like most about it, it's a wonderful story about faith and trust in the power of God to deliver us through our greatest time of distress and need. What we're going to hear about today is another story about giants and how we have to finish off our enemy, but it's probably not a story that you heard in Sunday school. As a matter of fact, you may not heard a lot of it from the pulpit even, but this is a great story and it talks again about how David is found faithful and God takes care of him. But as I told you, this passage of scripture is not chronologically put in the right place. If you go back to 1 Samuel, right there in chapter 17, where David slays Goliath, right at the end of that story, you see that they run off the other giants. They chase the other giants away. David, being faithful to God and walking in faith through God, was able to slew Goliath. 
but now his sons are coming back. And so that's where we're going to pick up today. That's kind of a quick background. With that said, turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 21. We're going to start in verse 15, and I'm reading out the ESV. There was war again between the Philistines and Israel, and David went down together with his servants, and they fought against the Philistines. And David grew weary. And Ishbi Banab, one of the descendants of the giants, whose spear weighed 300 shekels of bronze and who was armed with a new sword, thought to kill David. But Abishai, the son of Zeru, came to his aid and attacked the Philistine and killed him. Then David's men swore to him, You shall no longer go out with us to battle, lest ye quench the lamp of Israel. For all my note takers out there, my first point is the enemy doesn't give up. What we see in these simple verses right here that I just read to you is that now Israel is back in battle again with the Philistines. David has already killed Goliath, but the sons of Goliath have come. In particular, Ishbi Banam shows up and he's ready to take David out because David has become weary. David isn't young and vibrant like he used to be. Even though he's still the king and he's still battling, now he's become weary. And here's this giant that has his opportunity to get revenge on the man who killed his dad. And if you listen to what the Bible says about this man, he's a bad dude. He has a spear that weighs 300 shekels of gold. And as David is fighting this guy, I got to think, he's thinking, I thought I killed Goliath. Lord, I thought this thing was done. I thought we took out the giant. And that's my first point today. A lot of times we think Goliath is dead. We think we've killed the giant, but the enemy never gives up. I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, but our enemies are the enemy that they always been, and they rarely change. They will not give up. And David may have killed Goliath. Well, actually, David did kill Goliath, but his four sons now have shown up. They want to avenge the death of their father, and they're not giving up. Here they come. They're going to get revenge on the man that killed their father. In verse 15, it tells us that David grew faint. This could have been because of his age. Some commentators say this is just because the battle had gone on for so long. David just was tired. He had become faint. Whatever the reason, the son in verse 16 thought he could kill David. But in verse 17, we see Abishai shows up and that he aids David and he kills the Philistine. And then after that, the men swear to David that he'll no longer go into battle with them. They don't want him to die. And that's what they say, lest you quench the lamp of Israel. David, you're more important than any of us, and they're all coming after you first. Now look at verse 18 with me. After this, there was again war with the Philistines at Gob. Then Sebekai the Hushatite struck down Seth, who was one of the descendants of the giant. So that's the second one. And there was war again with the Philistines at Gob. And Elahine, the son of Jeroram, the Bethlehemite, struck down Goliath the Gittite the shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. And there was war again at Gath, where there was a man of great stature who had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, 24 in number. And he also was a descendant from the giants. And when he taunted Israel, Jonathan the son of Shimei, David's brother, struck him down. These four were the defendants of the giants in Gath, and they fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants." As David's men kill one giant after the other, they keep coming back. They won't quit. We see in verse 18, they struck down one. In verse 19, again, we see another one, Goliath the Gittite. In verse 20, we see an unnamed man by name, but listen about him. He had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot. And he was a descendant of the giant. We see in verse 22 that there were four giants that fell by the hand of David and his men. In 1 Samuel, David kills one giant, Goliath. 
And he chased the others away with the nation of Israel, but it didn't end. The Philistines are enemies of Israel, and they're not going to give up. They keep attacking over and over, and that's what we see in this short passage of Scripture. They come back, and each time they have a giant with them that they have to kill. Remember, if we studied first and second Samuel, that the nation of Israel has been fighting against the Philistines. Saul started that, but the enemy never gives up. And David wrote about when he was captured by the Philistines. We saw that in 1 Samuel. But turn to Psalms 56 too. It says, My enemies would hound me all day, for there were many who fight against me. O Most High. Isn't that the way the enemy always feels against us? That they're just hounding us all day long. Listen to what was written in Psalms 25 1. Plead my cause, O Lord, with those who strive against me. Fight against those who fight against me. If you read your Psalms, you'll see how many attacks David had to endure. Why? Because the enemy never stops. They're relentless. They're there to try to destroy you, to take away your happiness. The enemy does not want you to be happy. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. What is the Bible trying to show us right here in this verse? Is that we need to wake up. We need to be sober-minded. We need to be on the lookout because the enemy will not stop. They will keep coming over and over again. And if we try to do it in our own strength, we're going to be like David. We're going to become tired. But through the Holy Spirit and through our faithful walk with God, we have a chance to overcome. You know, we like to take a day off. Saturday and Sunday are our days. We work hard Monday through Friday, but Saturday and Sunday is for us and our play days. But Satan doesn't take a day off. He doesn't say, well, it's Sunday. I'll give the Christians a day off while they go worship. No, he doesn't work that way. The enemy does not want to do anything but depress you. He wants to destroy you. He wants to make you unhappy. He wants you to turn and throw up your hands and give up. The enemy will do anything it can to keep you from walking in the goodness of God, serving others and being the hands and feet of God, showing that joy and peace that comes from God. So the enemy is going to send anything your way that he can, whether it's people, all kinds of problems, all kinds of roadblocks, because he wants you to fail. He doesn't want you to win. So be like 1 Peter. Wake up. Be prepared. Stay prepared. You have a giant problem coming your way sooner or later. As the old saying goes, there are two kinds of problems. The ones that you're in right now and the ones that are coming. The problems are coming. So that begs the question, you say, Tim, well, what should I do? Well, the Bible tells us in Ephesians 6, 11, to put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, that you may be able to stand against the devil. You're not going to do it yourself. You do it by putting on the whole armor of God. It is through his strength. That's how we stand against these problems. I can tell you from my personal experience that I have to do this daily. The days that I don't put on the whole armor of God are the days that I wind up failing. It's the days that I get tripped up. It's the days that I realize that I woke up and I didn't put on the armor and a giant problem came towards me and I failed. But here's the good news. You don't have to be fearful. You don't have to be afraid. I know this sounds like doom and gloom, but you don't have to be afraid or fearful. With God on your side, you already are victorious. We just have to put on the whole armor. We have to be prepared. We can't let down our guard. 1 John 4, 4 says, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. 
because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. In other words, you've already won. You've already overcome. You just have to be prepared. You have to do it with God. You have to be a part of God. You plus God is greater than anything you will ever face. The problem what we had when the pandemic hit in 2020 was that there were a lot of Christians that weren't prepared, that weren't awake, they weren't sober-minded, they weren't walking the way they should have walked. And because they were living the squishy life, they were eating the ice cream because everything just seemed to be like cakes and roses, when the giant problem came, they thought God had let them down. God didn't let them down. God has told us that to be awake, to be sober-minded, things are coming. It may be good at the moment. Let me ask you this question. How many of you have insurance? You know why they sell us insurance? It's because they want to prepare us for when something bad comes our way. When a giant problem comes, we have insurance to help us out. Insurance gives us comfort. We lay in bed at night thinking if my house catches on fire, if I drop my phone because I have insurance on it, guess what? It's covered. I'm not going to be exposed to some big financial risk. We can rest comfortably because someone has prepared us and told us to be ready for a problem that could come. Why aren't we doing the same thing in our spiritual walk? Why aren't we preparing ahead of time? Why aren't we building that prayer closet? Why aren't we being prayed up? Why aren't we studying God's word and putting his word in our heart so that when we walk through the times of trials that we can lean on his promises and we can follow after God and walk faithfully through the problem with God? Jesus said in John 10.10 that the thief doesn't come except to steal, to kill, and destroy. In other words, he's telling us to be prepared, to be ready. He says in John 16, that in this world you will face tribulation. Jesus didn't paint a pretty picture. And what I want you to wake up today and understand is that we are going to go through tribulations. We're going to have the giants come. We need to have a killed Goliath mindset. Understand, even when you're in the good times, something else is coming. This life we live in is a grind. I mean, you make money and then you turn around and have to spend it. You lose weight just to turn around and gain it back. You toll for stuff. You work for stuff that breaks on you. Just when you think it's all good, just when you think all the things are going great, we're back, everything is rainbows and unicorns, the sons of Goliath show back up. So understand that the enemy doesn't take a day off. Complacency signals to the enemy that they should attack right now. Live with an expectancy of an attack. My second point is you should have finished them off when you started. Too many times we have sin in our life and we get it under control, but we don't get it out. David should have finished off the giants when he started killing Goliath. If you go back to 1 Samuel 17, it says that they chased the Philistines and killed some of their wounded, but they didn't destroy them all. They chased them away and thought that meant victory. They thought, okay, we're done. They thought to themselves, the enemy has run, and that is a victory. And what did the nation of Israel do? They go back to their tents, and they plunder, they throw a party, but ultimately they won that victory, but they didn't win the war. The war wasn't over. You know how this story could have been different? If they had destroyed them when they had the chance. If the Israelites would have destroyed the giants, then we wouldn't see these giants coming back, these sons of the giant come back. And just like the Philistines got away only to come back, we do the same thing. We let the enemy get away right when we have a chance to snuff it out, and then he comes right back and attacks us the same way. If we don't destroy our sin completely, if we only ask for forgiveness but we don't turn from it, it comes back. Ephesians 4.27 says, don't give place to the devil. 
But they do. They figure, well, we killed the biggest one. I killed the biggest problem I had in my life. But these other ones, you know, they're, they're not hurting anybody. That's my own little sin. And they let it sit there. And it's a toe for the devil to get in and to grow and expand. In my work, we have a phrase where we say, go sell a customer and use the land and expand mentality. In other words, get a product in there. And then as you're in there helping them with that, show them other products we have that attach to that, that work with that. And that's how the devil works on us. He wants to land and expand in your life. He'll take the little footholds that you give him and he will expand off of them. But if you don't learn anything else about this passage of scripture is that the sons of Goliath will always come back. They won't give up. You have to destroy them all, the big one and the small ones. You have to destroy all of them. You have to be relentless in the destruction of the enemy. The Bible teaches us in James 1 that when we have a desire and it's conceived as a thought, it gives birth to a sin. And that sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. What does that mean? That is the land and expand that I've been telling you about. What you need to understand today is we have to destroy all the sin in our life. We have to get rid of all of it. We have to leave nothing undone. You probably asked him, how do I do this? Well, let me give you a, a visual of this first, and then we'll look deeper into it, the spiritual example. Out on my driveway, my wife wanted to get rid of these weeds that would grow up in the cracks. And so she went and bought Roundup. She went and bought different things. She even took a flame torch and she torched those weeds. But year after year, they would come back. And what I kept telling her is, Sandra, you have to kill the root. You have to get the root out. Otherwise, all you're doing is killing the visible part of, this, of that plant, of that weed. Well, the same thing happens in our life. How do we keep it from coming back over and over again? Is we have to kill the root of the problem. We can't just stop the symptom. We have to kill the root. We have to fix the heart. We have to fix our heart problem that we have. 2 Corinthians 7 Verse 1 says, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from what? All filthiness of the flesh and the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. It's saying that we have to cleanse ourselves of all filthiness, not just the big ones, and thinking that if we get rid of just the big ones, the stuff that everybody sees easily, and not the stuff that we hide, the little ones, we have to get rid of all of it. Some of us think if we can just get the, what people see, like we stop looking at porn, but there's still lust in our heart. There are people that steal that think, well, if I don't steal anymore, but they still have covetous. They still want that thing. They stop using a drug, but they still have the problem underneath that made them go to the drug. Stopping the action isn't enough. You have to get the root of the problem. You have to have a heart change. You have to cleanse your heart. I heard one pastor put it that, the outward sin, looking at porn, looking at stealing, doing those things are the action of the sin. That is part of the flesh. But the real problem, the root of the problem is the heart. And until we fix the heart, we can stop all the actions, but that's still underneath. There's still a problem we haven't addressed. We haven't given that over to the Lord. We haven't taken off our old self and put on our new self. We're not walking in the spirit like we should be walking. We're still walking in our flesh. We're just now doing a bunch of religion. We're doing a bunch of do's and don'ts instead of worshiping the Lord and focusing on him and walking in his goodness and his grace and walking in that new spirit. 
Ephesians 4.24 says, Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. That's the only way we can fix the heart problem. That means we have to die, let the old stuff go away. That, die, that death is us asking Lord into our life, us becoming a Christian. But then it takes us walking in sanctification. It takes us putting on the new nature that was created in the likeness of God, that is righteous and holy, and that fixes the heart problem. The Bible says that if we have iniquity in our heart, then the Lord will not hear us. Look at Psalm 66, 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, if I have sin in my heart, if I have a heart problem, the Lord will not hear. So we need to get away from the mindset of the do's and don'ts, and we need to do the hard work. We need to fix the heart. We have to change the heart, and we can't do it ourselves. Listen to Job 14, 4. It says, who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? No one. Only God can do that. Only Jesus can do that. He brings and cleans us up. It's only through him. All we'll do is fix the outward appearance. And here's my final point, is we need the help of others. We need an accountability group. Well, as I've told you, you can't let up because the devil never lets up. You need to get out the root. But the worst thing you can do is try to believe that you can slay Goliath and his family on your own. You won't. You'll become weary like David. David needed his men to help him when he became weary. Since COVID, it has become the thought that I can do church from my house. Even though that was a safe thing and that's what the government asked us to do, it is time to come back and be in fellowship. It's prideful to think that you can make it on your own, that you can make it through life without anybody else. You need a peer group. You need those that can hold you accountable and can lift you up. David was one of the greatest men. He, he's written more about besides Jesus in the Bible. And yet he needed his men to take care of him when he became weary. I can hear some of you saying, well, Tim, David killed Goliath without anybody. He did it on his own. He did. But he didn't beat the rest of the family without the people that were surrounding him. In verse 17, we see Abashai, the son of Zerum, came to his aid and he struck the Philistine and he killed him. My point is this. We all need an Abashai. We all need someone like him that will have our back, that will keep us from falling. I actually love Abashai. As I've studied about King David, all of from the time that he was running from from King Saul all the way up to now. Abashai's always been there, and he's always helping David out. And we see here in verse 17 that Abashai strikes the Philistine. David was battling, but Abashai strikes him and kills him dead. He comes to David's aid in a time of need. The idea that we need someone goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. In Genesis 2.18, the Lord said, It's not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper, someone that can be with him. See, God looked at Adam and said, you're never going to make it as an individual. You need somebody with you. Flip over to Exodus 17. We see Moses, the great and mighty Moses. Exodus 17 verse 12, it says that his hands became heavy. So he took stones and they put it underneath them as he sat there. And Aaron and her supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other. And his hands were steady and that they won because they battled victoriously while his hands were up. Moses needed help. He became weary. And so what did they do? Aaron and her held his hands up. We will become weary. 
The enemy is relentless. It doesn't take a day off. And if you don't have someone there, if you don't have an Abashai, if you don't have an Aaron, if you don't have a Her, then you're more likely to fall. But when we surround ourselves with brothers that can hold us accountability, when we are in a life support group, I love that churches have now said life groups because it's truly about life. It's about us living life together and helping one another out. It is a life support group, not just a life group, but a life support group. And you need to be plugged into one. The Bible tells us in Philippians 2.4, let each of you look out not only for our own interest or his own interest, but also for the interest of others. If you're only thinking of yourself, then you're doing it all wrong. You were not created. God did not create you to be alone. That was not the plan. And there are giants and sons of giants and People get weary and they need the support of you and you need the support of them. King David was a doer. King David made things happen. He was a mighty warrior. But we see right here that he needed others to help slay the giant. I want to challenge you. Think right now, who is someone that you could help build up? Who is someone that you could send encouragement to? Who is someone that you could speak a word of encouragement to today? And go do it. You know, Galatians 6.2 tells us to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. In other words, we're to be together. We're to be with one another. We're to take each other's burden and help each other. That's the law of Christ. I challenge you this week, find someone and give a word of encouragement to them. Every day you cross paths with people and it takes no extra effort to say an encouraging word to them, to speak life into them. I mean, Jesus even told us in John 15, 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Are you loving others as Jesus has loved you? I'm out of time, so I'm going to close with this final thought. The enemy is relentless. It will come back. When you slew one giant, another one will come at you. When you kill the financial giant, the sickness giant seems to show up. Or when you get over that sickness, all of a sudden there's a relationship issue. Or there's a self-esteem giant. All of these giants seem to come, and they don't always come at the same time, but they come like waves of the ocean. They roll in one right after the other. Just when you think you can go, I've made it, here comes another giant. But the Bible is clear on how we handle these giants. We don't have to be a military genius. We've already got all that we need. I read that to you, that the one that is in you is more powerful than the one in the world. We already had that. But we need to be awake and aware that the giants are going to come. We're going to face them. We need to have a peace and understanding. We need to get to the root of our sin problems and not leave a place for a giant to open up and surprise us. But more than anything, we need an accountability group to help us, to encourage us, to have our back when we become weary, to have their back when they become weary. With taking this three-step strategy, you can overcome the giant problems that will come in your life. Just like David and his men, the nation of Israel, were able to wipe out these giants. Don't try to do it in your own strength. Realize that it's the name of Jesus and the power behind his name that does the work. When we are born of the Spirit of God, when we are walking in the new man, when we are given his authority because we're walking on the new self and not our fleshly self, then we are more than victorious. We're an overcomer. Maybe you showed up today and you're facing a giant. Understand that God is with you. Jesus is more than enough. All you need to do is walk with him. Get plugged in. Will you do that today? Let us pray. 
Dearly Father, we come before you today, Lord. We thank you for our time together. Lord, through this short passage of Scripture, we see that the enemy is relentless, that it doesn't give up. It doesn't take a day off. The giants will keep coming time and time again. And we need to be ready. We need to be aware that the enemy is ready to jump on us, that it's seeking to destroy Lord, I feel like there's one today that is facing some financial giant or maybe some health giant or some relationship giant or whatever giant it is that I can't even name them all that come at us on a daily basis. Lord, I pray today they'll understand that they can lay it at your feet. Your word tells us that you are our helper, that we shouldn't fear. What can man do to us? We don't need to look to our abilities, but we need to walk in our strength in you. We need to put our faith in you. We need to focus on you. And the giants become smaller when we understand who you are and how we are overcomers with you. That they are nothing compared to you. Lord, give them the faith to put one foot in front of the other. To take it one day at a time. To keep a positive attitude and stay focused on you. To stay the course. Lord, maybe there's one today that has never asked you to be Lord of their life. Lord, I pray today would be the day, Lord, that they would believe that you came and you died on a cross, that you were the perfect sacrifice. You were the perfect blood sacrifice to cover our sins. But not only did you do that, but then you overcame death. You gave us an eternal hope to spend with you that there is more than just our short time here on earth that there is an eternal hope that we will spend with you. Lord, I pray today they would ask you to be Lord of life. They will understand that they have fallen short, that we all have a sin problem, and that they need you. And Lord, they'll ask you to be Lord of their life. They'll believe on your finished work, and they'll confess with, your, with their mouth. Lord, we thank you for all that you do in this ministry. Lord, we thank you for the blessings you give this ministry. And Lord, right now, we just ask this all in your name. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.